Hello, everyone. Welcome back. It's Julie Bates with the podcast Turning the Pointing Labrador, episode number 178. Today's uh, podcast is going to be a brief G update, uh, one I'm real happy about, and then a discussion on approach, general approach uh, to your dog training, whatever kind of dog training you're doing. So on the G update, um, I, I think I said in the last podcast that she has, we've had some steadiness going on the pointing, staying there, and now she just wants to break on the gun. And so that's been fairly consistent. And she's just, just uh, I think, 13 months old. Um, so I'm real happy with that. And then on the other stuff, uh, because I've been working real hard on the steady stuff on everything, steady on marks, because she just kind of really, really wants to go. Doesn't move, but just wants to take off and so we're I'm really working on just building in that I never move until I hear this single word that sends me which is G it's not a word but single letter that sends me and then on the blind stuff and I've told everybody here I've been working just just um, tenaciously at that almost every single day we run multiple blinds again different places not the same stuff uh, some of them, sometimes they're marked with a little orange thing, and sometimes they're not. And she and her sister have both learned to look for little orange things. And, and so and a lot of times when they see it from 50 yards away or something, I'm, we're done. I'm, we're going to get all the way to the end. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but so now I don't do that very often. But sometimes you just have to know where it is, so you have to have something that we can see. That's gone real well. So, for example, this weekend when we had the big training session, all the people here, and we do, uh, we do setups that you can break down into little pieces and have it be very simple for young dogs. Or if you put a few of the pieces together, it, it's fitting more of the advanced dogs. But we had some blinds with marks, like we always do. And one was an under-the-arc blind, and another one was uh, right past two, uh, two marks, right between them and behind the chair of one and up a hill kind of counter to where they would naturally go. And both G and her sister uh, did those blinds. You know, at first they thought, oh, back to the old fall, sure. And then I don't let them get to it, right? But that's what they're thinking. And then I just can move them on past everything. And they take the cast and go. So now we're doing long, hard blinds uh, that are related to marks. And, you know, they're not sure what they're doing, but they're going and stopping and they're taking casts. And so I'm just... You know, and here it is November. So I think by spring, you know, we ought to have some of this stuff down pretty well. And it's been so warm here lately. Almost every week I can train in the water as well, which, you know, end of November in Colorado is not normal. But things are a lot warmer these days, so I can. So that stuff is going really well. And it's not by, it's just by practice, 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 and identifying where the weak spots are and practice practice so i'm extremely happy with both dogs one other thing i'll just note on her sister she is was on birds from eight weeks and she's always pointed and her sister wasn't on birds wasn't in a position to be on birds until she came to me and when she first did come she would lock up on these really pretty stylish points and then she started to get real aggressive because this was just so much fun and so then we just turned into flash pointing and given her heritage <laughs> and her mom and dad and everything, I thought, nah, I'm just, no, I got to do something a little different. So 
me, who never used to be a chord guy, and I think I even say in the Training the Pointing Labrador book, you know, that, no, I just don't do chords if you have to do that. I all have to say I was not exactly accurate. For certain dogs in certain situations, uh, the chord is, uh, does amazing things used correctly. Now, so what I did with the sister, or sister, was I just put it around her, hooked onto a choke chain, and then wrapped it around kind of a half hitch around her uh, waist, and then it just, she was dragging it everywhere, and the first time when she got on a bird, um, I got a hold of the rope just in time, and, but she still made the big lunge after, after finding the bird. So the next one, I thought, well, let's see what, on the second time. And on the second time when she went, she actually stopped, went over and stopped, and I got hold of the rope, and she was back in that original style, and she was on that point of the tripod thing and the tail. Oh, it was just beautiful. And she just stayed there until then all the action started, and then she kind of wanted to go again, although she is de-chased. So using that cord somehow slowed down the very aggressive dog in her mind where the pointing thing that was also there could actually be recognized. <laughs> so I'm approaching her that way, and I'll certainly report on that. I haven't had to use that with G, but I did with this dog that did not have the benefit of, you know, dozens and dozens and dozens of birds before she even started formal training. So good news on everything, cord use on that. Would I use them on every dog? Absolutely not. But when it's the one that you need to kick in that other kind of thinking, um, I'd love to tell stories because I've seen, there have been a lot of dogs here that didn't point and then we courted them a little bit and then it kind of woke that up. That the, the pointing passivity was washed over by the aggressive, I want to get the bird in my mouth thing. And we kind of reversed that. And now several of them are four times. So it's, uh, it is a used well. It's a powerful tool. And, and you know, I said earlier I wouldn't do it and now I've changed and I do so that's the latest on that speaking of that very kind of thing the topic the topic for today is a compilation of people what's happening some questions some things I've seen and and is going to be on approaching your training program now I don't care I, I'm training a little wiener dog not actually and we just walk through where there's rabbits and she's becoming an adamant rabbit hunter but still, that is training because she's going to be running field trials here in another few weeks. I'll report on that, my own personal dog. Uh, not by me, her breeder. I just do retrievers. That's what I do. But when we train whatever we're doing, stock dogs, you know, agility dogs, search and rescue, all that kind of stuff, whenever we train, and certainly hunting and the retrieving stuff that we, a lot of the people listening to this do, it, it would be very good to take into account what, uh, what you're doing when you undergo your training sessions. Because m many times, especially if there's group training sessions, now somebody tell me this isn't true. You get a group, group of people together, everybody wants to be like the best guy, right? The best dog, the dog that does it easiest the quickest does it whatever it is every you know I mean that's how it's human nature right we oh, it would be really great to be the best one um, and to win the training session and uh, many many people would have their ego going along with them um, go into training sessions wanting to win it wanting to be the best one and I'd like to throw another way of thinking at people that are doing that if 
If the purpose of your dog training is to truly be effective and to truly be better after every time you do it and your dogs are a little bit better and moving in a direction of increased mastery and increased ultimate success, whatever you're doing, don't, I would say, don't go in that way. Because when you go into a training session wanting to impress somebody or wanting to look good or something like that, which is total ego, that's total vanity. It has nothing to do with the education process. It's just total vanity. And there is a whole lot of that in this deal. Instead of going in there looking for how, look at how, you know, my dog didn't even hunt that mark or my dog only took two whistles to get all the way out there or whatever it is. And when you look for that and then you go home or go back to wherever and tell somebody, oh, yeah, we did the, we had the best blinds of ever. You should have seen the blind. Oh, so good. There was only this and that. And you tell everybody about that. You missed all the really critical stuff that is what you should be about in your education process. So it's great that your dog, just like I was saying how well G and her sister did on the blinds. I walked out partway with them. I took my time. I was training the whole time. It didn't compare to the master hunters and fancy dogs that were running all there with us. Mine weren't anywhere close to that. But for the dogs, they were showing market improvement from all the stuff I'd done. For example, with G. I had said earlier on the podcast, I said she, she only turns, goes to the right. She doesn't go to the left, or whichever one it was. And for weeks, I had a, she's going to only turn one way problem. So I spent a lot of time working on that particular thing. And no, not by doing baseball blind. We did a little bit of casting, but mostly by altering a little bit what I did out there while running the blind to sort of change the way she was responding to things. So... I looked for the things that weren't great, and that's where I put the energy. And I was very appreciative and grateful of the things that were going well. And so now when I talked about her blinds and how well they were doing, they weren't as good as the big dogs, but they were so good for these guys. So that's success based on the inadequacies that have been in our training going along. So instead of telling everybody, if you're, okay, yes, it's nice to be have the best dog or be the best one or be the authority in your group. Oh, goodness, everybody loves that. But instead of that, if you want to be the best dog trainer and you want to have the dogs to the maximum of their ability, what you need to do in all training sessions is sit back and see what's happening and see where the dog has its weak spots, what things are not as good as you would like, what things, you know, like, gee, just turning the way she wanted instead of the way that I was casting. Right? I'm not going to get mad. Obviously, I've done something that's allowed this to go on, and she's interpreting things the way she is, and it's my job to identify why that is and what to do to get out of it. So it's the inadequacies of what we're doing, we, not her, we, that I have to approach. I remember particularly in a hunt test one time, there was another pro that was there, and they had set up uh, what, what I always call a no see blind. They had set something up where the dog started from like down in kind of a pit thing, kind of a low spot, and the blind was going to be up and over a hill and then out. So they could get no picture when they 
you know, looked at it when you said dead bird and they were looking out. This is at a master level now. They could get no picture. And so you had to send your dog and they needed to get up the hill. And once they get up and cleared the hill, got up, you could then step up there and continue to handle. Uh, it was it was a hard blind. It was a no -seum at the start. But, you know, again, when you say back, they need to go and preferably in kind of the direction you have them pointed. And I remember this one pro, I think several of his dogs didn't, they didn't, couldn't do the blind. It, had it been, if we'd run from up on top of the little hill there, they probably would have been fine. And boy, I, he was mad because he looked bad, right? He's a pro and he's supposed to, you know, know what he's doing. And, and his dogs didn't do very well. And I, he was be doing the tough guy thing, you know, saying, well, I know what we're going to do on Monday. You know, these dogs, are they embarrassed him, right? And they were going to have to have to get punished. Oh, seen that a lot. Somebody's dog makes them look bad in front of everybody, and they are going to go do nothing but whatever they failed on for the rest of the week. As opposed to having, and I ran that thing, but fortunately my dog went, and I don't, you know, we got, I think we got through it. Either way, I didn't go practice it on Monday the next, you know, I... I was like, oh, okay, well, I probably, you know, you get out what, this could have been better, or every now and then I'll try one of those things. But I had no desire to go punish anybody. Uh, and again, I, my dogs probably did it. I can't remember not doing that. But the thing to do when one of those things happens is say, all right, why did this dog fail at this? What, and it's obvious. Those dogs are only used to having a picture when they send them on a blind, and they didn't know what to do when there wasn't a picture for them to look, and it was like up a hill. They thought, well, this has got to be a mistake. So that dog had been very conditioned. Those dogs had been very conditioned to a very consistent way of always doing stuff. And so when it wasn't the way they were used to, they did not know what to do. That's how I identified that problem. So now we're going to go shove it down their throats in a punishment way when they had never been taught what that was. And, I, you know, that's just sort of a de-escalation. You're not going to get better that way. You're just going to get, you know, make them a little more resentful or a little more afraid or a little more not enjoying things as much or something like that. But that's not taking the responsibility for what is happening. So... Oh, it, it's on on every level. If your dog is running marks and they're not marking very, very well, they used to, you know, they used to mark real nice and now they're running around and they're, what's wrong with these darn dogs? And then you try to do stuff and you're going to get after them. You're going to handle with some pressure. You're going to do something. You're going, because man, they're just not doing what they should do. Instead of going, look at that dog who conventionally has always had a lot of confidence and run out to the area of the fall and seen it really well could there be a reason you know what has happened that this dog has not doing that very well or has lost their confidence there could be 50 things that that is it could be that they're developing cataracts and you don't know it you know I've seen I've personally had dogs in our kennel that were losing their sight uh, from some stuff and it just looked like they were you know just oh, what's happened Look at them just running all over the place. Sometimes it's a medical thing. Sometimes it's something that you've done that has really just made them like punishing them after a hunt test for days and days. Makes them not have the desire to get out there and give it their best effort.
Many times it's that. Many times it could be that you set up marks that do not teach marking given all the factors that are there. There's a whole lot of reasons. But instead of being mad at the dog or embarrassed because your dog isn't doing as well as everybody else's, you just try to figure out where the problem started and put the responsibility on the teacher's shoulders and not the students. And it always comes down to that. Now, that does not mean let's go into the, the constant guilt and blame. Oh, and I, I see that too. Especially when people are around me, you know, and they know that I'm not going to have them blaming the dogs for stuff that's going on necessarily. It, then they, you just jump to, oh, it's just me. I'm not very good at this. I don't know what I did, but I did it. And, and that's more like a pity me. You know, I'm inadequate. I don't know what I'm doing. And that's, that's no good either. <laughs> it's just you can't do that either. If you don't know what you need to know, you got to figure out how to get it, how to learn some of this stuff, how to think about it. Nobody knows everything. Nobody has all the answers. I don't care how egocentric they might be. They don't have all the answers. And a lot of times when stuff happens, it's a, you have to work out why it is. You have to break it down into a lot of different reasons to, so that you make whatever adjustments need to be made. So on dog training of any kind, instead of having your ego sit out there in the middle of it, look how good I am at this. Yeah, you know, I oof, see that a lot, right? Look how great my dogs are. Well, maybe he didn't do that well, but isn't he pretty? I mean, just instead of any of that stuff, just see, have the student, no matter, I don't care, you're doing agility stuff. You're doing novice obedience for AKC stuff. Okay, look at the animal and see what it's telling you and see where it has confidence and belief in what it's doing. See where it doesn't. See where it's confused identify is it confused or is it just saying I don't want to do this anymore I don't really like this there's so many there's so much to that and if you want to be a very good teacher of animals and runner of animals if you just set your ego aside maybe you that had the most horrible job of everybody you know unless you've done it like some of us where I've done so much stuff that I've been the best one I've been the worst one I've been the oh my gosh what was that you know, and I don't really care anymore what it is. I just need to get this dog a little bit better all the time. That's so why I tell everybody, gee, stuff that she's not doing well. Or your sister, she's not doing this well. It's not a judgment of the dog. Those are two great dogs. It's just here we are going through this, and here's what I see, and here's therefore here's what I'm working on. And that's just the key to designing any dog training program in the world is to see where the weak spots are and what needs to be strengthened. Just like if you were a uh, bodybuilder, you know, but your right arm isn't as strong as the left arm, then we're going to do some stuff to get the right arm going. You don't just move on past it and, well, look how pretty it is. Maybe not as strong. So it's so important to look at the smallest, the smallest things that we do. The very smallest things we do, getting the dog out of your vehicle or wherever, out of the kennel out of your house are we going to go do stuff is the dog telling me that they really aren't interested and they really don't want to pay attention notice that that's something you've done that is something you have done that makes that dog believe that they don't really have to pay attention until you finally get after them how about teaching them whenever you interact they always have to pay attention that would be your responsibility not the dog's 
The, remember the should things. Just We take the shoulds out of everything. So now I'm going to tell you about doing the reverse of this and how it also is not in your best interest. But there's also a way of approaching your dog training where you always look for the, the negative stuff. You look for the weak spots or the inadequacies because that's what you're going to address. And so pretty soon, <laughs> that's all you see. And then you miss out on a lot of the progress that needs to be identified for both of you and kind of celebrated. You know, yes, like me going, oh, I'm so happy G did an under the arc blind. She had no idea what she was doing, but we got there easily and without any argument. And, and you know, I'm just very pleased about that. It's important to recognize those things. I'll give you one example that comes to mind is somebody who may be listening to this podcast had a uh, pointing lab and it, it had been putting in the dog on birds and it wasn't pointing. Two, two four X's, mom and dad, wasn't pointing, wasn't pointing. One day he was out, it was over here, it was, and he was out. And we had, they had some birds out there. And the photographer that's done all of my videos was out just filming. And... <laughs> I wasn't there. I was doing something else. They were out. And they said, uh, I, when they came back, I said, how'd it go? You know, and he's like, oh, it's all right. I, I don't know. It's still the same. And, and the, the, the photographer said, well, look at the video that I took. And so I looked at it, and I went, well, look, he pointed. And, and, and the, the owner went, I don't, not from where, I didn't think it looked like that from where I was. And I went, look at the video. The dog is pointy. And with both of us, the photographer and I going, hey, it, look at him. He just locked up right there. That's a point, bud. And so I, he kind of, mm, yeah, maybe so. Anyway, after that, then the dog pointed every time after that. It was just one of those things where all of a sudden they point and then they do. No cord, nothing. He just pointed. But he would looked at that with the same kind of jaundiced look that he'd been, you know, oh, he's not pointing. Oh, look at that. Well, that's a point. It isn't a very good one. And you've got to be real careful about negativizing everything. If You know, if you're like, oh, this isn't working. Look, I'm not doing something right and he's not responding right. Or look, this dog just doesn't mark very well. Or, or look, he's not pointing. And, and you've got to be careful that you don't let this, uh, got the dark perspective glasses on right there. And you don't see the improvement and you don't see the good things. That's equally important. If all you only see is how great they are, then we're not problem solving very much. But if we only see the problems, then we're not recognizing when some have been solved and they're no longer problems. And that's a real key aspect, I, I feel, to this whole dog training thing. And frankly, it's hard to always stay on the right track. I, you know, I can admit to that. There's many times when I just look, ah, oh, look, that's not going very well. And and the, I'll catch myself going, actually, that's that's really quite a bit better than it used to be. And I was so caught up in the not okayness of what was happening that I didn't notice that it was actually improving quite a bit. And it's important that you do. When dogs are making improvements, one, that means you're doing something right. And two, you want to, to feed into those improvements and keep them going, not not notice them and not feed into them and then some of your improvements could go away if you don't do that wherever you put energy in these guys in your interactions in your daily life and in your training is what's going to expand so if you just see how great they are then 
then that's all that's going to be, and you're going to miss all of the problems, and those things will um, you know, do whatever they're going to do. So on this topic, somebody had asked, I think, on the Facebook page that, you know, what are some ideas for forming a training group? And everybody had a lot of ideas, um, a lot of good good feedback for what that question is. And I, I want to I address that right here. How do you have a good, effective training group? So everybody tells what they do. <laughs> okay, we do this. And there was a lot, a lot of good ideas. But I think... I'm just going to offer along these lines just some thoughts about having a good training group. Now, it would be nice if you had people that know a lot. And I'm, I'm, I don't say think they know a lot or just because they're professional, they know a lot. But I mean people that genuinely do that have trained dogs themselves, at not just one or two, but a number of them. Preferably different kinds. I mean, different you know types of dogs, not breeds, but just hard chargers and then softies and everything. It, the group does need somebody that can kind of weigh in on. Well, that's probably not a good setup right there because of this or that. A little bit. It would be nice. Preferably not with a big ego. And the other thing is, when you have a training group, it's very important that everyone contribute. And if people aren't in a position to go operate the wingers or throw the birds or plant the blind or shoot the birds or whatever you're doing, then, you know, that should, that should really be part of the training group is that everybody contributes. People really like to sit over in the chairs and watch everything, and there's like three or four people that do all the work. And, and it, you need to be one of the three or four people that do all the work. So you need to let people know. Everyone jump in here. You have to teach them. If people are new to this or they were in another group that does it differently, everybody has to be taught. This is how we do this. This is how we throw or we use the winger. This is how we set up. This is our, you have to have a whole series of signals, right? When the, when the guy running the dog signals for the bird or whatever it is or plant the blind or help my dog, all of those things, everybody has to know what that means. So anybody that new that's new comes in should have a little bit of a training. Be out at a station with somebody uh, that's preferably really good and know how to help the dog, when to help, what you know, how they're signaling. Do I need to hup hup to get the dog's attention out here because it's not looking at me before we throw the mark? All of that stuff needs to be fully understood before you just throw somebody out there. Because when you do, and then they don't do something right, and then your dog messes up, then you're all mad. So that can be prevented by a little bit of an education uh, program first. And I think it's also very important that you don't have the judge and jury there. You don't have somebody in a training group that is going to inform everyone what they are doing right and wrong. Um, you know, that's my personal opinion. I've never liked that. I don't do it at a training group. You know, I don't offer any help that isn't asked for because nobody wants that. So so don't have somebody that's in there just informing everybody. Just explain. You know, we're going to have a training group. You know, if anybody has questions, they can ask these people. But let's don't come and, and, and use our ego to show everybody how much we know. Also, whenever you have a training group, one of the things that's, I think, real important that's often overlooked is you need to ask the group, what is it we want to get out of today's session? 
You know, maybe it's real warm, so we can use a little bit of water. So what do we want to do with that? You know, do we want to really emphasize marking, or do we really want to emphasize marks associated with blinds, or whatever? Do we want to do use this crosswind to teach, you know, fighting crosswind factors when you're marking or running blinds, etc.? It, it's very important, you know, they usually just somebody sets something up, whatever they see over there and what they want, and everybody just runs it mindlessly without wondering, what, is, what do I want to get out of this? And what, what does my dog need? That's very important in every single training session. And you shouldn't, in my opinion, just mine, don't set up whatever you do. You know, you're running uh, started dog something, or you're running hunter retriever champion stuff, or you're running master hunter, or Whatever you're doing, don't just, well, let's just go set up the test, okay? You just don't get better at taking tests by taking tests. You get better at tests by learning the fundamentals of the material. So to just go set up the test just kind of gets everybody off the hook. Or maybe nobody can actually figure it out. But you, it should be a thing of the group. You know, what is it we'd like to accomplish? And like I mentioned earlier in this podcast, you can have totally you can have field champion level dogs in there you know very very accomplished dogs and little knuckleheads that are just out of force fetch and just think this this is heaven and you're just trying to get them back still you can train that group of dogs together uh now if you have 500 yard marks yeah i think the started dogs not so much but for basically really for the hunt test groups though no matter what, you know, 100, 200 yards, then if you have a young guy, just run singles and move halfway out. Or double bird, you know, he's out going out and another bird gets thrown, so he keeps going out to this long distance. You can all train a variety of dog levels together if whoever's setting this stuff up knows how to make it so that it's going to work for everybody. And if everyone is doing a triple and a blind up the middle and you don't want to do a triple, then don't do a triple. The peer pressure thing, you know, you should do what I think. That's just ridiculous. Go as an individual in any training group. Go get what it is you need out of this. And if maybe you're wrong, let's just say what you think you need isn't really what you need. It's still your dog and your training time. And you still, in my opinion... Listen, if somebody goes, well, be careful, maybe you shouldn't be doing triples yet because of this or that, and you're just bent on doing one, at least listen if somebody has, is, someone you respect is telling you something. But ultimately, do what you feel you should. And if you shouldn't have run the triple, you're probably going to find out. And then you've learned it yourself. And the next time, you may not make that mistake again. So training groups are wonderful, but you kind of need to convene ahead of time you know, this is what we're going to do. What level of dogs do we have? Also convene about rotating help so that everybody helps. Um, not just one guy, but everybody helps, jumps in. And ladies too. Women can throw birds as well as men. You got to see my training group. We got some girls that can out and throw the guys. So get out there and do all of the work. You learn a lot more out there with the dogs watching than you do sitting around talking about stuff. So Training groups are very important. Just get them kind of defined ahead of time and make sure you meet the needs of everybody in there. And it's a lot of fun. All right, so that's the hodgepodge for today. Um, most of all, I'm really happy about uh, G and her sister. Things are really coming together. And I, again, I want to remind everybody, I tell you all the stuff they aren't doing. 
you know, yeah, they're doing this really well and that, but we're really struggling over here. That's where my emphasis is, and then I'm just very happy when it all starts working out um, because I'm just going to train, that's all. I'm not trying to have the best dogs in the world, and if they are, all, great. <laughs> anyway, that's today. I hope that's useful to some of you, and uh, still a very warm uh, winter uh, for us right now. Maybe sometime it'll come. I don't know, but I wish the best for everybody. Stay healthy, uh, and uh, G and I will be back soon.